this is Get Uncomfortable. Now I know that this is an unusual start to our episodes, but before you hear Adam and his excellent conversation, we have a little bit of housekeeping. First, Changes by Tupac is edited by Franz27 on SoundCloud and is used under a Creative Commons license. Now, this is the first in a two-part series in a conversation about the most recent conflict in Gaza. We think that this is critically important to talk about, but we encourage you to listen to both parts as they come out in the month of March. And also encourage you to take care of you and yours. I see no changes. Wake up in the morning and I ask myself, it's life worth living, should I blast myself? I'm tired of being poor and even worse than black. I'm gonna curse so I'm looking for a perfect snatch. Cops give a damn about a need, bro. Pull a trick and kill a nigga, he's a heat, bro. Get it back to the kids who the hell cares. One less hungry mouth on the welfare. First ship him, don't let him deal with brothers. Give him guns, step back, watch him kill each other. It's time to fight back, that's what he would say. Two shots in the dark, now he was dead. I got love for my brothers, but we can never know no way. This is Get Uncomfortable, the podcast where we talk race, politics, religion, and all the things with me, Adam Smith. In a space dedicated to uncomfortable conversations since October of 2022, only one topic has made us uncomfortable, the Holy Land. The recent hostage taking by Hamas and subsequent attacks that have killed millions in Gaza are just another example of unrest that has plagued the region for thousands of years. And for many, the answer is simple. Stand with Israel or stand with Palestine. And it is much more complex for all of us who don't want to alienate or do harm to loved ones from either side by picking a side. And those fears were made real with the recent attacks on university presidents, most notably the unwarranted attacks on Dr. Claudine Gray, the first black woman to lead the nation's oldest higher education institution. There's nobody who can help us have this conversation better than our trusted brother, scholar, and justice advocate, Dr. Zachary Ritter, an Ashkenazi Jew who has dedicated his life to building bridges between Jewish and Muslim peoples and communities. Zach, welcome. Thank you for joining us again. We need you on this one, brother. How you doing? Um, I'm not getting as much sleep, but I'm doing well. Well, and it's... It's a challenging time. So not only are you a scholar, but tell us, you know, we read your bio, but tell us a little bit about you and your work, kind of the level set, why this topic is not only something that is important to you and your call and your service, but also why you are a scholar around issues like this. I have to give it up to my parents who really set the foundation for my knowledge around around history my father was born in a refugee camp in Germany, in an American-occupied zone. His parents were in Auschwitz. They were Polish and Austrian. And I was just steeped in history growing up and steeped in this notion of trauma. And it was rooted in Jewish trauma. But the beauty of my household was that my father, who worked for Mayor Tom Bradley, the first black mayor of Los Angeles, which the airport is named after, that Jewish trauma was then applicable to Black trauma, to Latine trauma, to Native American Holocaust, to the Black Holocaust. I was taught about these systems of oppression that Isabel Wilkerson, so, so, and now Ava DuVernay just made that movie, Origin, right, from the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson, which compares Nazi Germany, Jim Crow South, Hindu, feudal, caste system mm. and points out that Hitler borrowed and took his most disgusting killing machine from the way we treated black folks with the Jim Crow laws. He made the Nuremberg laws from how we treated Native American folks. He made the concentration camps because mm -hmm. he took the idea of the reservation system here. 
So I grew up with these notions and knowledge. You know, my father even told me when I was young, he was like, uh, we were stepped on and killed in Europe. And you know who's being stepped on and killed in this country as black and brown folks. And you need to, because of your history, you need to treat folks better that are in black and brown bodies and you need to educate yourself about black and brown mm. history. So from a young age, it was, it was very ingrained in me. And you know, the Israel-Palestine conflict, I didn't grow up so much in an Israel-centric household. I mean, the, the kind of the phrase, Am Yisrael Chai, which means all the Jewish people in the world shall be um, to life, like, uh, like Lechayim. But the state of Israel was not demonized, but my father did say that he thought about making Aliyah. He thought about moving to Israel in the 1960s. But he was fighting the Vietnam War stuff here and, and fighting the draft. And he said, hold on, the 1967 war broke out in Israel. And he said, I don't want to move from one hyper-militaristic country called the United States and go to another hyper-militaristic country called Israel that was going through its own stuff with Egypt. So that kind of made me think about militaries, nation states, and the dangers of nation states, what you have to do to protect it, like what, it, what you have to do mm -hmm. to maintain power. Like this is not only for the Middle East. This is how power is, is operating throughout the world, unfortunately. So I went, I got a PhD at UCLA in higher education. Um, I was a product of LAUSD. The LA public school system. My mother was an LA public school teacher, English as a second language. I was always interested in different cultures and I took uh, Spanish and French and Chinese. Um, and my father, like I said, was a, was a government bureaucrat. So he would always teach me about politics and history and be yelling at the TV screen. He'd be yelling mm, at George Bush Senior. Guy. That kind of guy. <laughs> He'd be yelling at George Bush Sr. on the TV screen. And, you know, it's not normal, but I remember being in, like, kindergarten and being like, I, like, asked my friend, like, so what do you think about the Persian Gulf War? And then my friend was like, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> <laughs> So if that gives you a sense yeah. of what kind of kid I was. And, okay, so, so, so for the last, I don't know, I'm getting old, but the last 12 years, I've been teaching in colleges about racial justice, uh, economic gender justice stuff. Um, and I've been at some Jewish, uh, I was at, worked at a Jewish college, and I also worked at two Jewish nonprofits. And I also, I feel like I kind of am maneuvering and dancing between these worlds of um moderate to conservative Jewish institutions and very progressive racial justice world. And so I have, I hope I have a pulse on all the different communities. I have my personal opinions about where I actually do land, but I try to hold space for folks because I want to take people on a learning journey. And if I mm. come out and say, F this community or F that community, then I'm shut out as an educator and people won't listen to me. So I want to take folks on a learning journey. And in the work that I'm doing now with Mariam, uh, Mariam's a, a dear friend and a colleague. We met in Newground, which is a Muslim-Jewish partnership for change. It's a fellowship in Los Angeles. And I don't know, I think I did it 10 years ago. And I met her subsequently. And now in the last... Gosh, I mean, since October 7th, we've been really pounding the pavement and going to different colleges, universities, corporations, nonprofits, and talking about Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, Gaza, Israel, communication skills, conflict resolution skills. And the one thing that's really standing out to me, well, okay, two things. One, folks don't know history. Right. Okay. And number two, if we don't hold space for people's trauma, they will not listen to a word that we're saying. That's right. 
That's right. Well, and I think describing your experience, and I always talk to folks about growing up the way I did and being multiracial and growing up as this this guy who to 90% of the world looks like he has two black parents. Mm. And I grow up in this family with all white people, matter of fact, mm. immigrants from Czechoslovakia and Germany, mm. right? Mm. And where some black folks can say, well, no, this is how white people think or act or what they're thinking about. And the same thing with white folks. The reality is I know because I've been there right? I mean, I was literally a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm in these spaces. And so I know, and it's it's different for multiracial folks who look multiracial, mm -hmm. but unless you have a very keen eye, most people don't know. Now, just the other day was my mom's birthday, and I put a picture of her and me on Instagram, and everybody says, I can tell that's your mom because you look exactly the same. Yeah, I'm brown and she's not. But outside of that, but so I think those are the pieces that you're describing and being in these spaces of being able to navigate and make space for, it. it is the reason why God, Allah, Jehovah, mm -hmm. right? Yahweh mm -hmm. has this mm -hmm. calling on your life mm. is because what a blessing. Oops not to see both sides, but to make space for all. Mm -hmm. And as you said, take people on a learning journey. I think for you, and the one thing I want to really get some time to talk about, because this issue, issue with Israel and Gaza-Palestine is, is challenging. Mm -hmm. And as I unpack it as a person with theological roots, one of the reasons it's taken us so long to have this conversation is because this thing is deep thousands and thousands and thousands of years deep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the beginnings of this conflict and some of the history? I know we can't take thousands and thousands of years, but give the folks who don't understand why this is so heated and so deep, give us some of the history lesson, the biblical lesson, the, the Torah lessons about mm -hmm why this conflict is so layered and so challenging well we can go further back and and we we can and we will because i know i know you're a man of the book and so we can do that but first i want to break it down real easy for our listeners it's not that old this specific conflict that we're talking about is 75 years old my father is 76. This specific conflict started in 1948 with the creation of the state of Israel. Okay. You have, well, let me back up. Okay, I'll do, I'll do the history thing. So you have the Ottoman Empire ruling North Africa all the way to Persia, all the way to like Lebanon, Syria. And they almost made their way into and 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 Turkey, right? They almost made and their for, way. In. And for folks who don't know, Persia is Iran, Iraq. Yes, there it is. There okay. it is. Um, and they almost made their way into Vienna. And there's a there's a wild story. It's a racist story that the Ottoman Muslims, Ottoman comes from uh, Osman, who was one of the first rulers, and. Um, Mehmed II was, would be the guy who would take over Constantinople and turn it into Istanbul. They're trying to push to Vienna and they get foiled by uh, the, the dessert makers, the pastry chefs, because um, they ring the bell and, the, and then the, the Viennese army stops the Ottomans from taking over Vienna. In reaction to this, the pastry makers are, are make a pastry called the croissant. And the croissant is a crescent, which is the Muslim crescent. And so the notion is you are throwing shade on Muslims because you're eating their symbol. And so the notion was, we stop these people, we hate these people. So, so already we're seeing a conflict, right, between Christian Europe and Muslim Middle East, North Africa, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that's two powers that 
do not like each other throughout history, and that's that's not good. 1322 to 1919, the Ottomans rule the land that I just described. 1919, World War I comes to an end, different empires fall, Austro-Hungarian Empire falls, Ottoman Empire falls, etc. The British and the French come and they carve up the Middle East. The term Middle East comes from a British general in the 1850s who says, it's kind of the middle because it's kind of between Saudi Arabia and Iran. And it's to the east of us. It's to the east of Europe. So, right, it's already through a white lens, through a Eurocentric lens. From 1919 to 1948, the British run British Palestine mandate. And that's what they call it, Transjordan. So they own Jordan and, and what's now Israel-Palestine, and the French own Lebanon, Syria, and the British also own Egypt and Iraq. World War II happens, and the European powers are broke. France can't afford it, Britain can't afford it, you know. There was other, obviously, powers that, uh, that had carved up Europe in 1884. The British had fake-promised Jewish folks that they would get a country with the Balfour Declaration in 1917. Didn't happen. Theodore Herzl was trying to get um, the Kaiser of Germany to do a Jewish safe safe place, homeland. They, Theodore Herzl and others thought, uh, Theodore Herzl is known as the father of, the, of Zionism and father of the Jewish homeland, uh, Judenstadt, a Jewish state. Theodore Herzl, saw the Dreyfus affair happen in Europe in the late 1800s, where Mr. Dreyfus, who's related to the Dreyfus from the Seinfeld show, um, he was demonized as uh, a, not a real Frenchman, that he was a Jew, and that he was a spy for the Germans. And they put him in prison in Devil's Island off of, uh, off of Guiana, Brazil, right? Jews, the notion is Jews are not safe in Europe and that they need a Jewish state. Theodor Herzl looks at Uganda. Theodor Herzl looks at uh, Madagascar as a Jewish state, looks at Oregon as a Jewish state, Argentina, Paraguay. Where, like, where do we put these folks because they're not going to be safe in Europe? And this is kind of leaving out that they were Jews in North Africa, they were Jews in India, they were Jews in Ethiopia, right? It, there's a Jews in China, Kaifeng Jews. So if I'm sounding like I'm giving an Ashkenormative history, usually the history is Ashkenormative, which means Ashkenazi are European Jews because it means East Ashkenaz. Sephard, Spain, Sephardic, Mizrahi is East East, Indian, Ethiopian, Iraqi Jews, etc. The British leave and uh, unceremoniously. Uh, and then let me back up. In 1936, there's something called the Arab Revolt. And this is could be seen as a Palestinian revolt because Palestinian folks in British Palestine uh, are sick and tired of being oppressed by the colonizer, which is Britain. Um, Strangely, interestingly enough, there were Jewish groups that were labeled terrorist groups that were fighting the British colonialists. There were Palestinian groups that were labeled Palestinian terrorists by the British. Um, in 1936, there's something called the Arab Revolt, and apparently 10% of the male Palestinian population is either killed or jailed in Kenya, in South Africa, in British colonies. And this, this revolt was a boycott, and it was also, there were obviously violent skirmishes as well. Um, the British kind of say, well, we're going to cut off Jewish immigration. Is that okay with you, Palestinians? We're going to kind of give you a deal. We're going to cut off Jewish immigration so that Jews that are fleeing Nazi Germany cannot come to Palestine. They got to figure something else out. 
1931, British Palestine was only 16% Jewish, one-sixth, 16% Jewish. Now, that doesn't mean that there weren't Jews in other parts of where the Ottoman Empire was, et cetera, et cetera, right? So people like to do, well, Jews are indigenous and Palestinians are indigenous. I mean, yes, they were all, they're all there, but a lot of Jews had obviously gone to Europe over the 2000 years. And a lot of Jews had gone to Morocco, uh, Egypt, um, Libya, and Iran, Persia, and Iraq. Baghdadi Jews was one of the biggest hubs in the Middle, Middle Ages. So the conflict, I told you the French and the British colonizers left. America wins World War II. A black diplomat named Ralph Bunch and the United Nations starts carving up the land and saying, well, there's a lot of Jewish folks that live here, so this part should be Jewish. Uh, there's a lot of Palestinian folks that live here. This part should be Palestinian. And so you get a kind of checker-marked map of what was British Palestine. That lasts about six months. And then there's war. The United Nations and Harry Truman, the president of the United States, Harry Truman wants a foothold in the Middle East for what America, some cynical folks will call it the American empire, right? And Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Syria, Palestinian folks, Iraq, and a missing one, they see this new state of Israel and Palestine as a new colonial project that America and the Europeans are sticking their nose again in our business and in our land. It's not our fault that Europe massacred Jewish folks. And why are a lot of Jewish folks from Europe coming to uh, Palestine? So there's a tension. This lasts six months and the war is declared by the surrounding Arab nations. But the, ah, I forgot Jordan, most important. The big problem is that overnight, you have what some view as the state of Israel being independent in 1948, declaration of the state of Israel. And six months later, when war is declared, you have overnight 750,000 Palestinian refugees, which is called the Nakba. The, the great disaster. So already we have, um, I don't know if you want to call it a Rorschach test or two truths happening at the same time. You have the mass displacement, and some people call it a domicide because your domicile is donezo. Okay. And, I, and that's where you get the folks still having the key from their grandparents or even the parents who were kicked out or had to flee to go to Jordan from the West Bank. They have the key to the house of when Israel was declared a nation. And they are, they are Palestinian and they are saying, I have the right to return because I still have the key to my house. And why was I kicked out? Now, at the same time, you have Israelis who are saying, some of us were here from um, biblical times, as you're mentioning. Some of us are coming back from Europe. Uh, we got massacred in Europe. We're coming back. It's our land too. But there's a lot of dangerous mythologies and slogans like this is a land without people for a people without land. This is the wandering Jew, you know, kind of stereotype. And this is going to be, this is going to be the land. But there were people there. There were a lot of Palestinians there. You know, um, and there were some massacres. There were some ethnic cleansing on both sides. Tantura was a Palestinian village that was massacred. Around 200 people were said to have been killed by the Irgun and the Haganah, which were Jewish paramilitary groups. And also in Deir Yassin, 200 
plus people were said to have been murdered um, in very, very uh, harsh, disgusting ways. Um, yes, they're said to have been flamethrowers. They're said to have been people digging their own graves and shot into the graves, etc. Okay. So, fast forward, you have... And Czechoslovakia was actually, you should bring up Czech, Czechoslovakia was um, supporting a lot of, uh, it was supporting Israel with weapons in the 1948 War of Independence or what others see as Nakba. Interestingly enough, the Soviet Union supported the state of Israel in its first year of inception because it was a socialist. It started as a socialist project. Um, it had kibbutzes, communal living, and a lot of the early uh, Ben-Gurion, a lot of the early uh, rulers were, uh, politicians were uh, socialists. You have the 1967 war. Let me back up. <laughs> it is complicated, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it's complicated. All right, so Gaza. We hear, we're hearing about the war in Gaza. Okay, so maybe some listeners are like, I don't really know what that is. Even the term, Gaza, right, Gaza, it is in Arabic and Hebrew, it's, it's strong or fierce. You know, it, it literally means that Gaza or Gaza was taken over by Egypt between 1948 and 1967. The West Bank, and some people may look at a map and say, well, wh why is it the West Bank? It's, a, it's on the east side of Israel. It's because it's the west of the Jordan River. The West Bank was owned by Jordan or run by Jordan from 1948 to 1967. This is after the, the war, right, of 48. Now there's another war, a big war called the Six-Day War in 1967. And this is where everything changes. And Israel supposedly, preemptively takes over all the Sinai Peninsula. And in the Sinai, you, and that's where Egypt, right? That's biblically where Moses did his thing and received the Ten Commandments on Mount Zion or Mount Zion. And that's where you get Zionism. And then, you know, you're like, well, what about the Rastafari stuff? Well, in, you know, Jamaican, uh, Jamaican religion, Rastafari is the name of Hale Selassie, who apparently is said to have been the great, 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 great grandson of the sexual relationship between the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of Ethiopia, and King Solomon. And this notion of Babylon is bad. Babylon is the name for Baghdad and the Babylonian Empire that, that took over Israel-Palestine way back when. 586 BC, they took over, they destroyed the temple. And so in Rastafarianism, like it's kind of good and evil. The good is Zion and the bad is Babylon. In 70 AD, the Romans destroy the second temple. The Babylonians destroy the first temple in Jerusalem. The, the Romans destroy in 70 AD, the second temple. Now that all that's left is the temple, of the Jewish temple is the wall. Some call it the Wailing Wall, some call it the, the, the Western Wall. And on top of the Temple Mount is the Dome of the Rock and Al-Aqsa Mosque. And the Dome of the Rock is very, very sacred in the Muslim tradition, religion, because it is, and you may know it as the Golden Dome. Underneath the dome is a rock, literally a rock, uh, where the Prophet Muhammad um, ascended to heaven on his horse, Borat. And there's a lot of conflict where sometimes uh, people below are throwing rocks to the Muslims above and, and, and vice versa. And there's been a lot of flashpoints at this site with Muslims and Jews. And oftentimes, shall I say, promulgated by politicians, usually Israeli politicians, for political gains. Okay, so this is, I, I want to caution listeners that 
this is not a religious issue. This is a land issue. And this is a power issue. But religion obviously is layered on top of it because this is the, the homeland of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Okay, 1967 war, everything changes. And the state of Israel now controls Gaza and the West Bank. And the United States now is very much supporting Israel. And you can read, if you want to read history as a United States versus Soviet Union, Cold War, which it was for a long time, Israel-Palestine can be seen as a proxy war between United States and Soviet Union. Soviet Union being on the Palestinian side and the United States being on the Israeli side. And then you have the 1973 Yom Kippur War, where Israel was caught off guard because it's Yom Kippur is one of the most holy days in the calendar, and people were fasting. This is the day of repentance. This is, um, you're asking God to be written into the book of life. And they were surprise attacked um, by their neighbors. And with the Gaza, October 7th was the anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. So there's some symmetry here, right? In 1973, you guys were caught off guard. Well, you were caught off guard again in 2023. Fast forward a little bit more, and then we got to get to other stuff. 1987 is the first intifada, and intifada means uprising. Palestinians are fed up of having a military occupation by the state of Israel since 1967. And there are folks throwing rocks, which is publicized a lot, but there are also folks that are boycotting uh, Israeli businesses. And I say Israeli, Israel comprises uh, Jews, uh, Bedouins, Muslim folks, Christian folks. Uh, Israel is uh, not monolithic, and nor is Palestine. Right? There's a lot of Palestinian Muslims, and there's a lot of Palestinian Christians, and, and Bedouins too. And then there's Druze, D-R-U-Z-E, which play a complex intermediary role between different groups. And the Druze, in fact, patrol the Temple Mount and the Wailing Wall because they are neither uh, Muslim and they're neither Jewish, but they are in the Abrahamic family. They are people of the book. First Intifada, 1987. This is when Hamas is created. Okay. And as I understand it, um, um, the United States and um, Israel, Israeli government, at first supported Hamas and gave them some finances because they wanted to bolster Hamas in uh, Gaza as a bulwark against the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization of Yasser Arafat, in the West Bank. Because there's a fear, as you look at a map, the Palestinian lands are not touching. So there's a fear that if they are united under the same leadership, that they will gain power and maybe gain land and maybe um, try to do harm to Israel or maybe even compete with Israel in a way that, that is seen as undesirable from an Israeli political standpoint. 1993, we have the Oslo Accords. We have Bill Clinton of the United States bringing together Yasser Arafat. So yeah, Yasser Arafat of uh, the PLO or Fatah in the West Bank. And we have um, Yitzhak Rabin of Israel. And it creates something very... Um, complicated, called the Oslo Accords, because that's where it met in Oslo, Norway. You have Area A. It cuts up the West Bank. And if you remember from this long discussion, sorry, that it was Ottoman 
then British, then Israeli, then Jordan, Jordan owned it, then Israel occupied it as a military occupation since 1967. All right. It carves it up into area A for the Arabs or Palestinians. Area B is to be shared between Israel and Palestine. Area C is to be patrolled by Israel, but is not to be built upon. Against international law, the state of Israel has built a lot of settlements on area C. Now you have 800,000 people that are Israeli citizens that are settlers in the West Bank on area C. Many people see this as a threat to peace and a huge barrier to a Palestinian state. The other problem with the Oslo Accords is that the area A are the big cities, Hebron, Nablus, Janine, um, there's others, and you can't basically walk or drive from the big city to the big city if you're a Palestinian uh, passport. I mean, the passport doesn't really, it's not a state, so the passport is not good in any really countries, like Guatemala and some other countries recognize it, but it's not really a state. Neither is Gaza, not considered really a state, um, by many, although there's, it's changing a little bit in the United Nations, but don't it doesn't really have the, the state designation of power. Um, okay, Yitzhak Rabin is murdered, assassinated by a fundamental Jewish terrorist guy. To give you a, a sense of things, One of the politicians who's in power now in Israel, uh, Ben Gavir, uh, was a big fan of this assassination, so much so that he took the Mercedes-Benz logo from the car that Yitzhak Rabin was driving and, um, and had uh, a poster of, of a Jewish um, violent extremist in his home and was charged and convicted for incitement to racial violence in 2007, but is now serving in the Israeli government, Ben Gavir. Ben meaning son of, right? Benjamin Benjamin, that type of thing. Okay, so then you have the second intifada. 2000, Apparently, Bill Clinton uh, offered a much larger part of the West Bank to Yasser Arafat and the, and the budding Palestinian nation. And Yasser Arafat, for many reasons, did not take the deal. And that led to, in September of that year, the second intifada, the second uprising. And this one was much more violent than the first one in 1987. In response to this intifada, the Israeli government starts erecting a wall in 2003 along the Israel proper and West Bank border. Okay. In that process, there's a lot of complaints that they take more land from the Palestinians because who's, are we talking about the 1948 borders? Are we talking about the 1967 borders? And they're saying it's inhumane, and some people call it an apartheid wall, like South Africa, or an apartheid, or like the United States, um, in when we had de jure apartheid. Some people will argue that we still have uh, de facto apartheid in America. Okay, 2005, George Bush and the United States and the European powers and others say there should be an election in Gaza. Ariel Sharon, Prime Minister of Israel, pulls Israeli settlers out of Gaza. That's right, there was Israeli settlers in Gaza. 2005, Ariel Sharon pulls out the um, Israeli settlers in Gaza by force. By force, there's video of, uh, you know, kind of uh, military folks taking them out. Uh, to the other side, 
Ariel Sharon has a stroke and subsequently dies, and there's no real transition process. Therefore, George Bush and others say there should be an election in Gaza. The election happens, 2006, Hamas is elected. Then there's a civil war between the West Bank government and the, the Gaza government. There's a civil war between the Palestinians and Hamas wins this as well. And there's violence of throwing Fatah PLO guys off of roofs and it's terrible and bloody. Hamas wins the election. Hamas wins the civil war. In Ariel Sharon's speech, obviously before he died, and I should say Ariel Sharon was one of those politicians that went to the Temple Mount and was saying, this is all of ours. And in some of them, paraphrasing, but we're, we're the best and... Um, it's Jew, Israel's for Jews and Muslims and Arab, uh, sorry, Palestinians are second class citizens. And this, this actually leads to the, to the second intifada. Hamas wins. And Ariel Sharon had given a speech that said, I am pulling Israeli citizens, settlers out of Gaza. I am extending an olive branch. If I am met with a fist, then I will hit you hit back with double triple force. Okay, so that 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 seed is already planted there. Hamas in in their charter says that uh, they are against the occupation by Israel, and that they want, um, in so many words, the destruction of the state of Israel. Um, because they see it as a colonial project and they see it as uh, killing and occupying Palestinian land. In 2000, <laughs> okay, in 2009, you have the first war where Hamas in Gaza starts sending rockets um, to Israel and Israel responds. Um, with with its with a strong military response, kills people, and then you have a cycle that is is beginning. So we have the two thousand nine war between uh, uh, Hamas and Israel, and then we have the two thousand fourteen war, which is which is very big between Hamas and Israel, and Israel bombs and kills many many people, and the 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 the, the death count is is very, very different because Israel has a greater military strength and it has an iron dome. So it can shoot the missiles out of the sky as they come over from Gaza. There's skirmishes and there's wars between 2009, 2014. Uh, there's a couple more and things have been quiet for some time. I mean, quiet relatively. There was killings uh, in the West Bank. There were killings, um, skirmishes with Gaza. But there's a deal that's going to be made with Saudi Arabia and Israel to normalize relations, just like the United Arab Emirates normalized relations with Israel, with the Abrahamic Accords with Jared Kushner and Donald Trump. And the notion is that Hamas and the Palestinian leadership in Gaza fear this connectivity between Saudi Arabia and Israel, and Iran is in the background funding um, Hamas because Iran doesn't want this deal because Iran is is our enemies with Saudi Arabia, but also Qatar. Qatar is funneling millions of dollars to Hamas with the knowledge of Benjamin Netanyahu. And Benjamin Netanyahu approves these millions that are going into Gaza, into Hamas. And he's, there's several ways to read it. You could read it cynically as he wants to bolster Hamas because he doesn't want to have a unified uh, Palestinian government. Um, 
Or you can see it as he thinks some of the money will go towards military building and some of the money will go towards nation state building. October 7th happens and 1,200 Israeli citizens, both Muslim and Jewish and some Bedouin, are murdered by uh, Hamas militants. They blow up the walls at 30 different locations on the Gaza-Israel proper border. They have, um, they've studied this tremendously because there's drones that drop bombs right where it's supposed to to blow up the sensors because there's like gun turrets and they come across and they kill some military or they kill a lot of military people but i think the most kind of visceral disgusting part is that they're killing people that are dancing in the desert uh, israeli citizens that are that are dancing and there's rapes that are happening there's um terrible murdering that's happening in the kibbutzes, and the irony that they're um, peaceniks, those were the peacenik people in those kibbutzes that wanted to have dialogue between uh, Gazans and Israelis and were. They employed uh, some Gazans that were working in the kibbutzes. Um, okay, so, and then 200 plus, 220 plus uh, Israelis are taken as hostages and in reaction to this, Israel says we're declaring war on Gaza. And now fast forward many, many months, and we're at a death count of almost 30,000 Gazans. Uh, and most of Gaza, something like 50% of the buildings are, are now uninhabitable. And some people are calling it a genocide. Some people are calling it a domicide. Uh, and some people are calling this a second Nakba. Uh, other people are calling this that the Nakba never ended, that it's a slow Nakba, and that the desire, which has been stated actually by this government, um, this Netanyahu government is the most conservative that Israel has ever seen. Um, ben Gavir is on TV handing out guns to settlers in the West Bank. There's 280-plus Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank since October 7th. So there's, there's violence by Israeli settlers, so much so that the uh, Biden administration in the United States had to issue an executive order to ban some of these violent, uh, I guess you could call them Jewish terrorists or Jewish extremists or violent uh, settlers from coming to the United States. So this is, I've tried to kind of paint a picture of these last 75 years of what, of the, the loose outlines of what's going on. And Judaism has a lot more in common with Islam. Uh, they, they, they're, they're both Semites, right? Um, yeah. Sem comes from Shem, comes from Noah's son, mm -hmm. right? So these are, Arabic is a Semitic language. Uh, uh, Hebrew is a Semitic language. Tigrinya in, in, in Eritrea is a Semitic language. So these are all technically Semites. But these are cousins who, in my opinion, because of global powers and war, money, and other geopolitical things, have been pitted against each other in this very, very violent struggle. Uh, when I visited Israel-Palestine a couple of years ago, one of the people that we met with said they're, they're in a bear hug of of they're holding on for life but they're also uh killing each other at the same time and there are actually many paths to liberation uh, that i wish uh, the news would talk about more um but i think the death and the killing and destruction that's playing out there is playing out on our college campuses we have a rise in anti-semitism we have a mm -hmm. rise in Islamophobia. We have, and then we have complicated things of certain Jewish folks seeing any critique of Israel as anti-Semitic. And we have certain Jewish folks that see any kind of Palestinian flag waving, any discussion of Netanyahu as um, 
any chants on college campuses of From the River to the Sea, which started as, um, you know, Yasser Arafat and the PLO in the 60s, 70s. Uh, it did mean back then that we want to get rid of um, the state of Israel. Um, I think it has evolved into a, into a kind of a free Palestine call, I think. Sure, some people that say from the river to the sea really do want to do harm to Jewish bodies. But I think uh, from the river to the sea has been now kind of a, what do you call it, a dog whistle for, mm-hmm. for anti-Semitism. And we're also seeing at, at, at major universities in America a neo-McCarthyism toward, in my opinion, more towards pro-Palestinian protesters like at Harvard where Bill Ackman, who's a conservative donor, teamed up with Christopher Rufo, who helped um, do the whole campaign to, to kill critical race theory. Bill Ackman wanted to display all the names of pro-Palestinian protesters so that they could not get jobs anymore. These are college students. And Bill Ackman also worked with Christopher Rufo to get rid of uh, President Claudine Gay. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Get Uncomfortable. Get Uncomfortable is produced in partnership between me, Rachel Hansen, and Adam Smith. To hear more from Adam, visit hearadamspeak.com. To hear more from Zach, visit zachritter.net. And we look forward to seeing you back here on March 17th for part two of the conversation. Oh, yeah.